Let's please stand this morning. I'll praise in the valley.
Let's hear it. been declared National Adoption Month by our government, and every November 18th is National Adoption Day. Today is the 19th. We have many families at CAMCC that have rescued children through adoption, the Hurtado family being one. In light of this national emphasis, and because every child is created in the image of God, we would like to declare that Camriel Community Church is a house of refuge. And that applies to everyone in this church or people you know who are in need of a place of refuge. Here's what we believe. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, please know that being pregnant is not a sin. The child you carry is not a punishment. It is a blessing from God. God is knitting this child in your womb. You may have made a sinful decision that led to this pregnancy or you may have been sinned against. We want you to know that you're loved and we will do whatever it takes to help you carry and care for this precious child before and after birth. While we can never support or encourage a woman to have an abortion because the child that she carries is made in the image of God and is intrinsically valuable and loved by God, you may desire to know how we will respond. Here's what we won't do. This church will not gossip about you, will not shame you, will not abandon you. This is a house of refuge, and we will not allow for the family of God to harm one another with words or actions contrary to the love of God as revealed in his word. Here's what we will do. We will do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacle stands in the way of you having this child. There are people in this church ready to mentor you, throw you a baby shower, 
connect you with resources inside and outside of our church, local pregnancy centers, etc. And we will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide and protect women and children. I know at least two families right now in our church that would adopt and raise a child that was in need if they had the option to at this moment. Finally, if you ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Let me say that again. Finally, if you've ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin finds mercy. And if you have never gone through an abortion recovery Bible study, we would be happy to connect you with one so you can walk in complete healing and freedom. Lastly, let me just say a little personal story. Last year, we made a significant um, investment in and in this realm, working with Love Life, which is a local ministry in Ventura County that helps with gals who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. We wanted to be about more about what we're for than what we're against. And so we thought coming alongside them would be a good thing. As we did that, I had a wonderful, beautiful, godly lady of our church approach me through email. She's in her retirement years. And she said, when I was younger, I was a part of a church-going family, Christian family. Years and years and decades ago, I found myself in an unplanned pregnancy as a young teenager. And at the advisement of my parents, I was taken to another country where they performed a late-term abortion. And she asked me, can I ever be forgiven? The answer to that question is a wholehearted yes, you can. We want to let you know that you're safe here. We love you. We believe in a God who forgives. And if you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, we'll be a place of refuge for you, not a place of condemnation. Who am I that the highest king would But he brought me in Oh, his love for me Oh, his love for me Who the sun sets free Oh, is free
perfect in all your ways Cause you're worthy You're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all For from Our vision and heart here at Camarillo Community Church is to see the increasing number of people who live in our area to know and follow Jesus Christ. Five years ago, Camarillo Community Church hired myself, my wife, and our children to come be the new lead pastor of our church. Since we've been here, we've done 15 community impact initiatives, 76 people have been baptized, and 113 people have made decisions for Christ but I wanna let you know something. We don't believe we're done there. We believe God wants to do so much more with our church in this community. Did you know that 71,000 people live in the Camarillo area? Many of those don't go to church. Challenge before us is how do we take our legacy of 60 years of successful gospel ministry, teaching of the word as our history, and how do we pull that forward to the next generation? You may not know this, but most churches have about a 50 to 60 year window and then the church closes. We call that a life cycle of a church. How do we go from one life cycle to another life cycle? How do we bridge the gap from what was so successful here and make it successful again? One of the ways that you can build momentum is to refresh, rebuild, kind of refresh vision on the campus. You may have done this in your own home life as well. You take the kitchen and you redo it. It just refreshes the whole kitchen and makes it feel new. And then you bring new people in and they all enjoy it. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where they have reestablished themselves or a new grand opening and people come just because they wanna see the new ownership or what's done inside. Those are the kind of things that we're talking about that we believe we can provide ourselves momentum with as we refresh our campus. That's why we've embarked on what we're calling the Welcome Project. And we're so excited uh, for all of us to consider how God might be calling us, challenging us to stretch a little bit more for His kingdom, for His glory. And we believe in doing so, we might get a new influx of people, people who are new to our community, buying these homes, people who are here looking for a fresh start, people who are looking for a place to raise their children in a church home. Church is not a building, it's about building people. 
and our facilities are just a tool for that greater vision. As our area continues to grow and increasing with people in Camarillo and really the Ventura County area, we would love to see more of those folks come to know Jesus Christ and that's why we're doing this. I'm so excited how God will stretch my family and how what we can give and sacrifice for so that new people, new family, new children can come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that all of us together, that you'll join us in this process, that as you deliberate and say, God, I'm gonna put you in my finances, I'm gonna put you in my budget so that we can do something together that we could never do apart and that we can make a dent in the kingdom of God right here in Camarillo. I hope that you'll take this time and join us in excitement and prayerful expectation as to what God and how God might use you to this endeavor. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. And if that's new to you, that's probably because you're new to us. And we're just excited that you're hanging out with us and with us today, whether you're online on the patio, if you're on the patio, it's way too cold, come inside. If you're in the video venue or if you're watching it this week, uh, just because you didn't want to miss out, awesome. We're glad that you're hanging out with us. Great time to be a part of Camarillo Community Church. Great time to join us. As you just saw there, uh, many of you have been asking what's going on with the welcome project like what's where are we at where it's a year later now what's been going on behind the scenes and today we're very excited to give you an update on where things are at maybe you've been through our lobby and if you haven't yet I encourage you especially if you're newer to our church there are posters all over the lobby of the pictures of our preferred future our preferred tomorrow we would love for you to take a look at that or maybe it's the first time you even heard about this and that video was the first you even uh, known of about something called the Welcome Project and even that we have a vision besides what we have going on right now. But it's an exciting time to be a part of us. The Welcome Project, as you can see, is our way of preparing to welcome folks in our community that may or may not already know that they need God in their lives. And so they right now either know it and are looking for a place or don't know it, but at some point in the future, they're going to come to the realization they need God, and we want to be prepared for that. We want to be prepared for that moment. Uh, it's about a year ago that I started off the series of, of the Welcome Project with a couple of doormats. Do you remember this? I don't know if you guys are like my family. We have two doormats. One that says hello or welcome, something of that nature, and that one stays in front of our house about 11 months out of the year. And then there's one doormat, which I couldn't find this morning, it's somewhere in the garage, uh, that says uh, Merry Christmas, or it's very Christmassy in nature, and we put that one out for the month of December, right? Uh, how many of you guys already have your Christmas lights up for Christmas yet? Anybody? We got ours up? Yeah, we got ours. Our, our front lawn has got like, you know, a, 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 a Falcon Star Wars, because there's nothing that says Christmas like Star Wars. And so uh, anyway, uh, for the month, this, this is the month where you celebrate Christmas and you put out all your little Christmassy things and maybe you have plans after Thanksgiving to put up your lights and whatnot. And we'll put out our doormat that says Christmas. And I mentioned last year that I, with a little egg on my face, embarrassment, that I had left that Christmas doormat out until June. Do you remember that? And I thought to myself, and I asked the question, how do you leave a Christmas doormat out till June? How is that even possible? And what I came to the conclusion was, is I never used my front door. 
I literally always used my garage to enter the house, so I would not have seen the Christmas doormat for six months unless I went out and got the mail and then I just didn't look at it. Or, you know, but I just don't use that front door. In fact, I, I'm curious, raise your hand right now if you go into your house in some other way besides your front door. Yeah, 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 they've got a side door. You know, I park here and I go in this way, go through the garage, whatever it might be. The front door isn't the front door anymore, you know what I mean? Unless somebody weird's like knocking on it, like, why are you bothering me? Anyway, so I came to the conclusion the reason it stayed out for six months is because I don't go through the front door. And here is what we realized. Once you've been coming to our church for any amount of time, six months or more, you no longer see the front door with fresh, first-time guest eyes. You, you know where everything is. You know where the restroom is. You know where to take your kids. You know how to sign them in. You know, all these things are just second nature. You're just going. Whereas somebody who's coming for the first time views things a little bit differently. And we don't want to have the quote-unquote Christmas doormat out in June around here. We want it to say, welcome to everybody, whether you've been here for 10 years or 10 minutes. And so the welcome project is our effort to say, we don't want to be blind to this, we want to refresh things, increase our curve of heel, be more welcoming to future guests. I got to pump up for one second, uh, Pastor Kelly Reed, who is heading up a whole kind of retrofit internally as it relates to our first impressions team, so that when we have the welcome project um, done, which I'm going to tell you more about in a second, we will also have in coordination with it a first impression strategy that goes from ushers to greeters to people out in the front. He's been working on this for about a year. And if you're a part of that team, I know there's 80 people who have been shown interest in that. Thank you, because it's not only about the walls, it's also about the people being welcoming, right? And so I'm super, super excited about what he's doing there and how that will come as well. Well, we asked the church if you would consider giving above and beyond your normal gifts. A year ago, we came, we spent four weeks on it, we just preached on giving, and we asked, would you be willing to give above and beyond your normal gifts? The reason that's important is because it doesn't help to take money that I was giving to the general fund and put it towards the welcome project, because then we have a problem keeping the lights on, keeping the water going, keeping our staff paid, keeping the ministries going. We need to keep these funds over here, and then in addition to those funds, if you're willing to sacrifice and go above and beyond your regular gifts, we can do more around the premises. And I want to give you some update as to how that's going. Here are the welcome project commitments thus far. Here's what we see. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, welcome project commitments thus far. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, there's a lovely lady back there working the, uh, uh, the computer. She's gorgeous and beautiful. Lovely. She's waving right now, actually, although you can't see her. She was walking around in a turkey suit last week, and now she's behind the computer. What's your wife doing? Anyway, uh, uh, $865,000 was committed over three years. Now, it's important. $865,000 above and beyond normal gifts. Okay, so we're expecting to keep whatever we have in general and then raise $865,000. I have to pump up our staff and elders. $160,000 was committed by the leaders of this church. Isn't that awesome? We're in the game with you. We're not, we're not trying to say you do it for us. We're in this with you. 
my family, we prayerfully uh, made a commitment as well. And uh, $248,000 was received in upfront gifts. We said, hey, if you can give us something upfront and then also do a monthly commitment over three years, uh, this would help us because we have all kinds of upfront costs. We were talking, you know, we had to pay the, ar- the architect to give us the artist drawings, and then we had to turn those into uh, uh, engineered drawings. And we have all this back and forth between the city, back and forth, and, you know, and all these changes always cost extra things. We had to promote this. We had to do all these extra funds. And so uh, $248,000 came as initial gifts. That leaves $617,000 committed over three years. We're one year into that process. Uh, Right now, we've received, above and beyond normal gifts, $494,000. Let's round up. $495,000 has been given already towards this cause. We're well more than 50% on our way there to what has been committed, the $865,000. Now, if you're here and you're going, I didn't even know about this. I, I just started six months ago. I didn't even know you guys were doing a welcome project. I saw those pretty pictures, but I thought that's a pipe dream or whatever it might be. Uh, I would love to put my hand in the center and go, go Bundy with the rest of them. Anybody? Gosh, it's funnier in my mind. Anyway, if you're there, I want to let you know that we're going to ask you to prayerfully consider this week. We're not going to ask anything today. Would you prayerfully consider this week how God might want to use you in this endeavor as well? Uh, and next week, we'll give you an opportunity to sign up with us for two years. Uh, I don't think I have to share with the church that inflation costs have been on the rise for years now. And there is some concern that um, what, what we thought we could do the project for and what it actually costs today may be two different things. And we're going to start getting into the phase in the next several months of knowing exactly what things cost and contractors and all these, bidding all these things out. And, uh, and you know, it may be that your coming in and joining us at this time will help us complete everything that we want to complete. So if you're new to us and you're saying, hey, I'd like to jump in on this, we would love for you to pray for that this week. We're not asking anything today. And then next week, come back with maybe a prayerfully thought through amount that you could give above and beyond your normal gifts. There are also those in the room who've been blessed this year and they thought, you know what? The economy's in flux. I don't know how it's gonna go. I, I gotta do a conservative guess on what I can give. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I was able to give the whole thing and now I, I could do a little more. And by the way, if you would like to do that, we would like you to consider over the next week what you could do above and beyond what you've already committed and what you've already given. And maybe that would help us do everything we wanna do, even considering the price of inflation and whatnot. As far as where we are at with the timeline, uh, with the city and all these things, there are several layers of this thing, but I want to tell you that we're at the last stages of submitting to the city the architectural drawings. So the last year, what we've been working on is working on taking these beautiful artist drawings into architectural, engineering, all that, that world has to be presented in a certain way. It goes to the city and the city will let us know that we have the right to build. So they have to approve it. The idea is you have enough, you know, um, uh, fire alarms and all that. All, everything has to be up to code. And so once it's declared that it's up to code, we get the green light to move forward. Our team and our elders already, already have worked on the back end. We have a, a denominational lender who will lend us the funds during the construction season so that we can build even though we don't have the full monies yet from the three years. You see how that works? But by the end of the three years, we will have the full monies and we'll have paid off that note is the idea. And so we are already ready with a back-ended lender to help us build. What does that mean? As soon as the city gives us the approval, we're ready to move, which means we're months away from seeing things look different around here, which is both exciting 
and scary because you won't be able to use the front doors and we go to church, we'll have to to figure out how we're doing everything. Uh, But it's an exciting time for a temporary season. We'll have, you know, the whole patio will be ripped up type of thing. So we're close, we're close, we're months away. And as we have more information to give you as to the official green light from the city, we will let you know. We're hoping that there isn't a lot of back and forth with these plans. Hopefully it'll just kind of be really quickly. We love what you're doing. They've already told us they love the artistry. Now we need them to, to, uh, to give us the approval on the actual engineered drawing. So that is where we are as it relates with the city guidelines. Well, let me switch gears for a second from the welcome project for a bit towards our message for this morning. And I must say that this, mention, this message has the potential to be very challenging by the end of it. But if you guys were scared of that, you would have left KMCC a long time ago, right? So uh, I'm sure you're ready for that. Open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Get there with me, Matthew chapter 22. I want to talk to you this morning about the setup, specifically a situation between religious folks and Jesus and how they were trying to set him up. What happens when God gets set up? How does he respond? Is it possible to paint God into a corner? And if it isn't, then what can we expect of him as far as his response? If God doesn't fall for traps, then why would we even try to set him up in one? Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 22. We're looking at verses 15 through 22 this morning. I've been so excited to preach this passage for a couple months now. Uh, I just think it's It's an awesome passage, and and you'll see why in a second. Overarching question today is, what happens when we try and set God up? What happens when we try and set God up? I don't think that's a good plan, by the way. Uh, Number one, we're going to see that he can see right through the trap. Uh, It almost makes no sense to try to set God up, paint him into a corner, because he can see right through our motivation. He can see right through the trap. I want you to see this, starting in verse 15. We'll go to verse 17 together. It says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Basically, they're trying to trap him. How do we paint him into a corner with his own words? And they sent their disciples to him along with the who? The Herodians. I'd love for you to circle that, highlight that, underline that. The who? The Herodians. Who are they? saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about one's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, what a masterful question. I just set that up. It's just a masterful question for what they're trying to accomplish. What happens when we try to set God up? Well, he can see right through the trap as we're gonna see. The Pharisees and the Herodians uh, decide to band together and try to corner Jesus on a question that he can't answer without losing. Uh, First, I want you to note that, that it's an unlikely pairing. The Pharisees don't often hang out with the Herodians. They're kind of polar opposites, actually. The Pharisees were opposed to Rome and any intrusion on their Jewish way of living. Uh, The zealots were even further, a religious sect that went even further, willing to go to war with Rome. The Pharisees weren't that far. We can coexist, but we don't like them. We don't want anybody 
over us who intrudes, intrudes on our way of Jewish life. And Rome being there intrudes on us. And so they don't like Rome. They don't like any kind of uh, facilitation by Rome to be organized as a governmental entity that's not their own. So they would prefer Rome not be there. The Herodians, you hear the word Herod in Herodians, were actively in support of Herod the Great and favored making changes dictated by Rome. Uh, what would happen is Rome would say, hey, we'll sell you this area, so to speak, and, and you can rule over this area as long as you pay taxes to Rome. And so Herod got to preside over that area, would uh, enact heavy taxes on the Jewish people, and then take a portion of those taxes and give it back to Rome, but keep, keeping a cut for himself, obviously. So the Herodians were very much into Rome. Hey, Rome, make, we have like a worldview where... Uh, we believe in the idea that government is the solution to the world's problems. The Pharisees were the opposite. In essence, by virtue of the fact that they were opposite sects and sects that believed in two different things, they were sworn enemies. They believed the opposite. But on this issue, they banded together to get, to get at Jesus. On this issue, they said, you know what? We, we can put aside our differences uh, on project, get rid of Jesus. And so they get together to try to get... Now, why would they want to get rid of Jesus? Why, 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 do, why do you care about Jesus? They're all vying for influence over the people. I want you to think election year time. Uh, right now, there's uh, Republican candidates, and they're all vying for the votes of the people. And so they're bickering against each other. That's kind of what's going on here. The Herodians want the vote of the people. The Pharisees want the vote of the people. The Sadducees want the vote of the people. And there's this new guy named Jesus, and everybody's following him. So they view it as a threat. So much so they're willing, let's band together, and let's go to Project Get Rid of Jesus. And they come up with this amazing question to ask him that he can't win no matter what the answer is. And then they come at him with like unlikely pleasantries, flattery. We know that you're true. We know that you teach the truth. We know that you don't care about anybody's opinion and you're not worried about uh, the appearances. You're, you're not worrying about swaying the audience. Uh, you, you just tell the truth as it is. What a setup. Hey, there's so much sarcasm in all that. I'm so sure that after he came in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, which is like 11 chapters earlier or more, and, and he came with a sermon on the amount, and what he was doing the entire time was going after the religious folk. Then now all of a sudden they're fine with it. Oh, you're great. We love you. After what you did at the Sermon on the Mount, and everybody knew you were talking to us, now we love you. We know that you speak the truth. All you do is speak the truth. You don't care about anybody's opinion, and you're not worried about appearances or swaying the audience. Now we find you to be a legitimate rabbi, right? No. They're just setting them up. These statements are made just to get them ripe for the setup. Unlikely pairing, unlikely peasantries, and they're, on, they're armed with an unlikely duplicitous question. It's a question that factions, like whatever you answer, yes or no, you're in trouble. I have to tell you, been wanting to preach this because I just think it's the most masterful question in human terms possible. This was the best shot they had at getting Jesus. The best shot by far. And the reasons is because how layered deep it is as to what they were asking him. 
you're a genius. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, on the surface from what we just know about the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians, we know that one will be for the tax system and one will be against, right? The Herodians are like, yeah, we love Rome. Uh, we think we should enact morality through government. So, hey, absolutely, pay the tax is their answer. So if he says yes, he's going to say yes to the Herodians. If he says no, the, the, the Pharisees are like, wait a second, we don't want anybody encroaching on our Jewish way of life. So the answer is no. We want God. We're, we're God's children, not Caesar's children. Why do we have to pay that tax? To one, if he answered, he'd become a traitor. To the other, if he answered, he'd become a treasonist. If I say, uh, yes, pay the tax, the Pharisees view him as a traitor. If I say, no, don't pay the tax, then according to the Herodians, they would believe you're committing treason, which, by the way, is an arrestable offense. We got him, no matter what he says. If he says, don't pay it, we arrest him. If he says, yes, pay it, then he'll lose all of his Jewish following. Isn't that a perfect question? It's just masterful, in my view. By the way, it wouldn't be very patriotic either to suggest paying for taxes. You would lose all the devout Jews, the zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome and go to war against them because of taxation. No matter how he answers the question, somebody's leaving with ammunition against Christ. Either he loses all the Jewish support or he gets himself arrested. But that's not it. There's more. Historically speaking, Herod was very kind to the Jews. Herod, the guy who, the guy who you know, was, uh, you know, had this province and paid taxes to Rome to oversee this province. He was actually very kind to the Jews. He built them their temple. Did you know that? That's Herod's temple that they were worshiping at. He allowed them to maintain their own currency so they can give gifts to God. You remember when the temple changing happened and Jesus come and he flips over the, t- the, the tables, right? It's because they were changing the monetar- monetary uh, um, currency of the day into Jewish currency. The problem wasn't that. The problem was they were charging a pretty significant uh, uh, tax on that for themselves. So they would come in with their they're Roman coins, and they would exchange them for Jewish coins so that when you worship God and you drop money in the, in the basket for God, you did that with Jewish money, God's money, not some pagan's money. When you came and you wanted to, to buy a, a, an animal, a perfect animal for sacrifice, you wouldn't use pagan money. You would switch that into Jewish money so you could come and, and buy an animal with Jewish money so you could worship God without any, like, intrusion of paganism. So he's actually kind of kind to them. He let them have their currency. He built them their temple. The one way he stuck it to them is he made them pay the Roman tax and he made them pay it with Roman coinage. Some estimate that the Jews at that time would pay a tax rate after they paid all their taxes in every different direction, a tax rate of like 49%. Heavily taxed, so you can imagine it was not a very popular thing for the Jews, the subject of taxation. But the fact that he would make them pay the Roman tax and use Roman coinage is so significant. And the reason it's so significant because of what was on the Roman coin. You see, the coin would bear the image of Caesar. 
And on the coin, it would say, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. It would attribute divinity to another person besides Yahweh. It was a coin that had an image on it. And then on the other side, it said he was God. In Jewish religious thought, this is blasphemy. He is a blasphemer. He's not God. In fact, it was an affront to the first and second commandment according to Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods beside me, and you shall have nothing with an engraven image that you worship. Second commandment. Now, Jesus, you wouldn't suggest that we should carry that coin in our purse, do you? That coin says somebody else is God. We're told not to have an engraven image. It's literally engraven on the coin. And it says it sees God. You certainly cannot be suggesting that all these years in our minds we've been forced to violate the second commandment. You're not saying that we should continue, are you, Jesus? you got to see the Pharisees thinking, spiritually speaking, we've got him on this one. He can't say yes, because that's against the Ten Commandments, which means I'll have to say no. And when he says no, they'll arrest him for treason. What a perfect question. There's one more piece to this masterful setup. Humanly speaking, such a masterful question. You see, there's one region that would be exempt from that tax. One region, the whole area, that would be exempt from that tax. Do you know what that region was? Galilee. Do you know what Jesus was considered? A Galilean. Do you know what that means? If he says continue to pay the tax, he'd be liable to the charge of, oh, it's easy for you to say, Jesus, you don't have to pay it. You don't have to pay it. So of course you're going to say pay the tax. You'll never have to pay it. It was literally the best possible question to ask him. As he would have to lose followers no matter how he answers it. But of course, we know that Jesus can see right through the trap. What happens when we try and set God up? Well, number one, he can see right through the trap. It's kind of fruitless to try to set God up. He can see it. He's God. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. He's all-knowing, omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't set a guy up who's everywhere, knows everything, is all-powerful. It's fruitless. He can see right through it. And number two, as we're going to see, he can turn the trap back on us. If you ever think you're going to trap God, paint him into a corner, just know that he can turn the trap right back on you. Let's look at verse 18. Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to test, you hypocrites? I'd love for you to highlight that word hypocrites, underline it, circle it, do something to notate it. Why do you put me to test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him the denarius, which is a Roman coin. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they marveled, they're baffled, and they left him and went away. (laughs) Such an unclimatic story. 
<laughs> like, they're like, we got him! <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, dang it. And they walk away. <laughs> like, what happened there? We thought we had him. What happens when you try to set God up? Well, he can turn the trap right back on you. He calls them hypocrites. I calls out their hypocrisy and answers the question in a way that flips the trap right back on them. You thought you were putting me in a booby trap? Actually, how about if you got caught in your own booby trap is the idea. The word picture, and this is really important. You might want to write this down. The word picture for hypocrisy is literally someone who either wore or hid themselves under a mask. That's literally the word picture. Like literally, imagine a stick with a mask and I'm preaching like this. And I'm hiding behind a mask. Think of mimes. You know, I'm not being myself. I'm acting like, like, a, like a traditional actor, but with a mask. Because I'm taking the mask away from you. I see exactly what you're doing. I see right through you. I see right through the fake pleasantries, your fake question, your hidden intentions, your, your false-hearted love for God. I see through it all. I can rip the wrath right off your face. He says, come bring me a Daenerys, which is a Roman coin. It represented a day's wage of an agricultural worker. And he asked them two questions. Whose image is on it? Whose inscription's on it? And they answered, well, it's Caesar's image. And it's got Caesar. The inscription is the problem. It says he's God. <laughs> They're thinking, we got him. He's like falling right into the trap. He's like dancing up and down on the trap. We got him. You know, all we got to do is pull the string. And then he says to them, fine, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. The coin, it has his picture on it already. It's got his inscription. Just give back to him. It's his. Give him all there. Give, give him everything that's his. But give to God's what is God. Don't stop there. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and then give to God's what is God's. Here's the issue. Everything you have is God's. You are God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, then you give God yourself. You thought the trap you were setting up was for me. What if the trap you're setting up is for your own greedy hearts, you masked people? Are you really concerned about worshiping God and not worshiping a false God? Are you really concerned about following the word of God? And if you are... Why hasn't that heart impacted your generosity towards the real God? And you're talking to me about this tax and whether or not it means worshiping another God. Well, why don't we go to your heart and ask you, what have you been giving to the one true God? Have you given them yourself? Have you given them your resources? Or are you just hiding behind your own hypocrisy? I don't want to give that way because that's given to a false God. But I'm not giving to the true God either. If you follow the line of reasoning in the book of Luke, the entire book of Luke, you will come to the conclusion that the Pharisees are rich and they were greedy people. They are rich and they were greedy people. Well, they leave in disbelief at their trapped being backfired onto them. Here they thought, man, we got him. The coin, the idols, the worship of Caesar, the Galilean exemption, we got him. The Pharisees versus the Herodians. There's too many layers. He can't get out of this. But he turned it on us, and now we leave with egg on our face. And if you continue reading in the rest of the chapter 22, the Sadducees are next. It's an amazing 
profound story of how Jesus takes what seemed like a foolproof argument, threw it, spun it, and by the end, they were left in their own trap. Well, that brings us to the big idea. Sometimes we can use spiritual arguments to mask the true state of our hearts. Sometimes we can use spiritual arguments, we can even get spiritual about it, to mask the true state of our hearts. We're good at it. We're manipulative. We can take, and this is a spiritual argument. You can't argue against that, and, and yet my heart is still wrong as I use this spiritual argument to try to justify what I'm thinking and saying and doing. Sometimes we can use spiritual arguments to mask the true state of our hearts. You're positioning this argument as if the greatest issue is the idol worship of a coin when really the greatest issue is the idol worship of your own heart. In the midst of their attempts to trap Jesus, he reveals to them that they've only shed light on the trap that they found themselves in as their heart stands indicted before God. Don't use God as your excuse to not follow him. Sometimes we can use spiritual arguments to mask the true state of our hearts. If you'd lend me your ear for a couple more minutes, I'd like to show you one way, one type of situation that we might do this in our own lives. It's about two decades ago, I was on the pastoral staff at Valley Bible Church in Northern California, East Bay Area. Hercules, California is a city that it's in, 30 miles east of San Francisco. And we had fi hired a financial consultant by the name of Robert Richardson. I'll never forget the guy, I love the guy. He, he came with the biggest personality you can ever imagine. He was a Texan through and through. The kind of guy that you would say, what's up? Rich, uh, Robert, and he'd go, well, not a whole lot, David. I mean, you can answer with him, what's up, what's up? Not a whole lot, you know, and, uh, and you know how they say everything's bigger in Texas? This dude had a hairdo that was bigger than anything you can imagine, like a guy with a hairdo that took him like 20 minutes every morning to make, you know what I mean? Everything is bigger in Texas. Well, we had hired him to preach and, and to help us uh, you know, with financial stewardship. In fact, we were one of hundreds of churches that had hired this guy uh, to help the church raise funds. And I'll never forget one of the illustrations that he used. Back then, you would hire a financial consultant, have him come preach to your church because lead pastors are too scared to preach on money. You just happen to have one that really doesn't care. <laughs> so he preaches on it. Uh, and so he would come and preach, and he used this one illustration. I'll never forget it, and I've got to share this with you in his own Texas rubato that he would, he would share. He shared about a church that was in Texas a long time ago that was a barn church. It was a unique church. It was a church meeting in a barn. And the church had been so successful in the barn that uh, they had hired him to come and preach to the congregation to see if they would be willing to give above and beyond their noble gifts so they could build a bigger building and house more of the guests that they were having rather than, you know, doing 15 services on a weekend or something of that nature. And so they hired him to come speak. And so he is the speaker for this emphasis. And he notices that after he preaches one Sunday, as he's leaving, there's a guy waiting for him. This is not uncommon for what he does. And so he stops, he waits, and he talks to the guy. And the guy's sharing with him, hey, Robert, listen, I've got no problem with God. I've got no problem with, with, with the church universal. Like, I, I've got no problem with giving. 
In fact, if I were to trust this leadership of this church, I would even tithe. A tithe is setting aside 10% of your resources for God. But the reason I don't give is not because of God, the church universal, or the, 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 the love of money. That, that's not the issue. The issue is I don't trust these guys. And I don't trust their vision. And I don't, I don't know that they'll use the money the way they say they'll use the money. And so because I don't trust them, I'm not giving a, a cent to this thing. But I want you to know I have no issue with God. Got no issue with the church universal. And I got no, it's all God's money. If I could just find a place to give it to, I would do it. So Robert Richardson turns to the guy and he says, so you're telling me that if you could trust the leadership and their direction, you would give 10% of your resources to God. The guy says, yes. Robert Richardson is, with Robert Richardson vibrato, says him, great. Come back next week, bring your tithe in its entirety in cash, meet me behind the barn and we'll burn it. We'll burn it. He's like, what? Whoa, 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 you want to burn it? Yeah, yeah, we'll burn it. I get it. Trust is a real thing, but this is a matter of obedience to the Lord. And if you can't trust the leadership, then at least let's burn the offering and let the aroma be pleasing to God. Because right now, you're giving nothing to this God that you say means everything to you. That way you don't have to trust the Lord or you don't have to trust the leadership. You don't have to trust whether they use it effectively or not, but you could still get right with God. And to Robert's shock and amazement, there was only one person standing behind the barn the following weekend. You see, sometimes we can use spiritual arguments to mask the true state of our hearts. I could only trust them, I would do it. Really? You know, when I came to the elders several years ago with the idea that we could refresh, we could raise money, we could rebuild elements on our campus, I was excited about the refresh for sure. Not unlike you might be excited about when your bathroom gets done or your kitchen gets done or the repainting of your house. I was excited about those things. But I was also excited about having a positive foundation from which we could talk about money and the effects of it on our hearts. Can I just talk to you like from a pastor's heart right now? Just look up up to me right now. Just, I don't know your situation. I really don't. Can I just tell you that I'm really not worried about the welcome project? I'm really not. At this point, it's gonna happen one way or another. Some version of the welcome project's gonna happen. God's gonna see to it Something's going to change. Give, don't give, give more, give less, don't give it all. I'm not worried about it. What I'm worried about as a pastor is that you would take a look inside your heart and look at the small G gods that you are worshiping. And then using a spiritual argument so you could worship it. That's what I'm worried about. What does it say about the heart? Does he have your heart? Does he really have all of you? 
And if he doesn't have all of you, what percentage of you does he have? Wouldn't you want to go to heaven and see him face to face one day and say, yes, of course, of course, I sacrificed for the cause of Christ on earth. Wouldn't you want that ledger to be there? Be like, yes, I did it because I love you. Whether they spent it in the right spots or not, I love you. I won't be held accountable for how it was spent. I'll be held accountable for how much I loved you. And that was one of the many ways that I showed it in this world. I didn't have a small G God that I worshiped more than I worshiped you. That's the heart of a pastor. Welcome project, there may be five different welcome projects by the time we're done with this thing, I don't know. My heart is for your heart. And that's what God has tasked me to do, to care for your heart and your soul. I know that's challenging. That's why we're asking you to do nothing today. I don't want anybody making emotional decisions, none of that. Go home and pray. Search the heart. Your step may be different from anybody else's first step in the room, but be true to your heart. God, what's my first step towards you? I want to start that sign that you are greater than any other love on this earth. It's not a heart to guilt you, but there's never any better time than now to do what's right before the Lord. Before I pray, I just got to share with you, my eldest daughter, Audrey, got a job in the last four or five, six months. And uh, very proud of her. She's doing really well. Collegeing, adulting, all those things. I set up a little spreadsheet for her and like put on her phone and she could... What you do, Audrey, is you just take your, your, your uh, whatever your take home was and you put it in this grid and I've set it up for you. I like Excel documents and I like, you know, formulas and I set it up for you. So once you put the number in there, it'll go boom, 5% of that is this. And you put that right away. You take it and you, and you, and you take 5% and you put it in your savings and you just transfer it over. And the next box over is 10%. And that is if you want to give to the Lord. Now, I'm not going to make you do that. I'll never preside over that. I'll never watch you do that. That's between you and Jesus. But I will tell you, Audrey, for your whole life, your parents have lived on 90% of their income. And we feel blessed by God. Like we've still been to Mexico and we've been to Disneyland once, not every year, but once. You know, God has still given us all these experiences as we've given him back his portion. He still blessed us. And we have a, a camper so we can go camping. And we've done all these different experiences. God has taken care of us, but we've lived on 90%. Now you are, as an adult, you're going to have to make your own decisions on that. And I will not judge you or make you feel bad. But I'll tell you what, if you don't start now, when that number is real low, when you get to your career age and you start making a lot of money, it's a lot harder. I drive a nice car now, but I didn't for the last 30 years. Because I wanted to keep God in priority. Can I just gloat over my daughter? Every time there's a new giver in this church, and there's hundreds of you guys, so I don't ever know who you are, but they give me a little letter and I, signed a, I sign at the bottom, hey, welcome to giving to our church. So proud of you. Here's what you can expect as far as taxes are concerned and how you can use this to defray tax and whatnot. And I saw my daughter's name on one of those. I signed it. I put a PS. So proud of you. 
You're better than every other daughter in this church. <laughs> of course, I didn't say that. Does he have your heart? When you leave today, there'll be a table. Kenny will make um, this more clear to you than I'm going to do right now, but there's these mugs. Please take a mug or take a magnet. If you already have 55,000 mugs, and you're, take a magnet, put the magnet on your refrigerator. The magnet looks like the Welcome Project. Every time you see the Welcome Project on your refrigerator, would you pray? We still got some hurdles to go through with the city. We got some hurdles to go through as a church to make church happen while we're, while we're in process and building. Would you pray that he multiply your gifts? Who knows? Maybe he blesses you more this year so you can do more. There's things that we left on the table that we would love to do. If we had more committed funds, we could do it. With that being said, let me pray. Father, let it never be said that the cause of Christ is starting to lose traction because there aren't enough believers willing to invest in it. Let it never, let it never be that, that we're losing tractions on our own hearts for you. I just learned that another evangelical church pastor, a mega church pastor, leaving the faith, went out with a bang, even writing a book about it. Goodbye, Jesus. Father, I want to say when it feels like everyone else is jumping ship, that's when I'm doubling down. Would you give us a group of people that say, this is the time to double down. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Well, that was a challenging message today. And like David said, we just want you to pray. And if the Lord leads it, puts it on your heart to give towards the Welcome Project, then I'll, next week I'll explain how you can do that. Uh, maybe um, if, you know, we're, we're really talking like if you weren't here last year and you just started coming in the last year and you want to jump on board with the rest of us, or if you um, weren't able to do it last year, but now you are and you want to jump on, there'll be an opportunity to do that. You know, I was talking to one person and, you know, they were praying about it and they said, you know what, of course I want to be involved. I don't want this thing to get built and go, wow, look what everyone else built. You know, they want to be part of this because we're, we're doing this together. And it really takes everyone. So pray about that. Does God have you be involved? And if he says no, then, then don't do it. I mean, I follow what God leads you to do. Um, these are outside. They're for everyone. They're a thank you for your participation in the Welcome Project, for your giving, for praying for it, for all that. And just as a reminder to pray for us. So these mugs are pretty cool. But like David said, there's people with like us with a whole cabinet full of mugs and that's the last thing we need so we also made a magnet so choose which one you want and you're welcome to it and pray for the city pray for safety pray for all that um you know we're talking about giving your whole life to jesus today hold your whole life to god and that's really what it means to come to salvation you know there's churches out there that preach this just accept jesus and you're saved and don't worry about anything else but you know there's an element of repentance that must be there we've got to turn away from the sin in our lives ask for forgiveness and give the lord our lives make him the lord of our life where he, he's on the throne and if you're here today and you've never given your life to jesus maybe today is the day where god's calling you to do that uh, you don't have to be like you don't have to like do certain things or it's not about what you do um, it's not about how good you are. In fact, I know a lot of non-Christians who are really good people and they would pull over and help someone change a tire. If you're in need, they're gonna be there helping you. And I know a lot of Christians who are kind of mean and cantankerous and complaining and you know what I mean? You probably know a few. And you know, and if you're in need, they're gonna be like, well, I'll pray for you, you know? Um, you know, that heaven is not full of good people and hell for bad people. That is not how it works. 
It says in the Bible that we all fall short. None of us are good enough to get to heaven. Heaven's not for good people and hell for bad people. Heaven's for forgiven people who've given their life to Jesus Christ. And if God's calling you, maybe today's the day you want to do that. I want to encourage you that um, the way you would do that is you would just ex- turn away from your sins, ask the Lord to forgive you, accept him into your heart and accept his offer of forgiveness and begin following him. Uh, and if you want, if that's where you're at, if you can go to the welcome counter on your way out on the left-hand side of the lobby, there's people there ready to talk to you about that decision. We want to know what God's doing in your life. And uh, last week I was checking how many people looked at our YouTube video and there was like 145 total people by Wednesday who had watched the YouTube video. So um, I know you're out there and if God's doing something in your heart, let us know. Go to campcc.net and click on next steps. Okay, I feel like I'm rambling on a bit, but uh, if you wanna give the regular offering, there's three ways to participate as you can see. Um, as well. And before we go, let's check out what's coming up next at Camp CC. Hey, Nathaniel Vanyard in here. What up, Camp CC? I'm the Young Adults Director. We meet every Tuesday night here at the church from 7 to 9 p.m. Come check us out. If you want more info on our YA ministry, you can email me at ya at campcc.net. If today is your first time with us, we are so glad you are here. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you're a first-time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card, take it to the welcome counter in the lobby, or scan the QR code with your phone's camera. Include your prayer requests on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are some pretty sweet things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite? The month of November, Community Impact Kindness Kits. With our new initiative, we will be collecting items to assemble kindness kits for the homeless. Check out our Amazon wish list on the kindness kit card for the needed items you can bring any Sunday in November to the lobby, new and unopened. Then check this out. On November 26th, help us pack the kits right after each gathering. For more info, go to camcc.net slash impact. Christmas is coming! Be on the lookout for December activities at CamCC soon. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to CamCC.net. I'm Allie Smith, the women's ministry leader here at CamCC. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, Today, God really spoke to me through the lyrics of Speak the Name of Jesus, and it's just challenged me through the whole holiday season to really focus on all those different aspects uh, that the holiday season sometimes magnifies in good ways and bad. Darkness, addiction, family, good and bad things about family, all of those things that try to invade our peace and joy for the holiday season. I just, I'm going to speak the name of Jesus anytime I'm feeling down and not at peace and just kick the enemy out of there. If you have some of those challenges on your heart, uh, whether it's related to the holiday season or not, we invite you to stay with us after the end of this send-off. We have a prayer team that is ready to pray with you over yourself or for someone else in your life that you'd like to pray for. We also invite you, of course, to stay on the patio and have some coffee and donuts before you head out. And of course, from all of us at KMCC, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving.